just have to make one correction in my sermon notes, because that was a very nice introduction, so no bad jokes about Pastor Marlowe. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here, and those online watching in. I'm going to have you put on your thinking caps this morning for just a few minutes. I have some questions for you. You don't have to, I don't want you to answer out loud. I would like you just to think of a response in your mind. So here we go. Here's some questions for you. When you hear the word persecution, what do you think of? Is there any images that come to mind of persecution? Do you think persecution is worse for Christians in other countries? And if so, what are some ways that Christians are persecuted today? And now for you, have you, do you feel you've ever been, personally, have you ever faced persecution because of your faith in Jesus Christ? So I've been asking myself those questions for the last two months as I've been preparing for this. And so what are my thoughts on persecution? Maybe they're similar to yours. My first thoughts went to the disciples of Jesus. They were certainly persecuted. They faced horrible deaths, all of them except one. We know that Matthew was slain with the sword. Mark was dragged through the streets. John was put in a cauldron of boiling oil. Peter was crucified upside down. We, we can go on and on. All because they would not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. They remain followers. I also go back to the early church, those first Christians, who many were, were killed because of their faith. You've heard of them being tortured, some burned alive, some thrown to the lions, some were wrapped in animal hides and dragged through the streets and eaten by wild dogs. Like, there's terrible stories. All because they would not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. One can't help but look back to the, the Second World War and we have a whole group of, of people, the Jews, who were persecuted just for being Jewish. More recently, we can talk about Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Afghanistan. Christians who are being beaten and tortured and murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. I can remember back in high school. Can any of you remember way back in high school? Like I'm talking this late 70s here. I remember, I mean, okay, I'm not a big reader, but I've read a few books in my time. Now there's one book I remember reading in high school that had a real impact on my life. Now it was about a young Russian boy who grew up in an orphanage. And of course, when you grow up in an orphanage, you have to learn to be tough. And so it talks about his story and how he survived. And then when he grew up to be a man, he joined the Russian army. He moved along really quickly in the rankings, and he was part of the KGB. They put together an elite group of tough guys who had one goal, 
Find Christians who are meeting privately and either beat them up, scare them. If you have to do whatever you want, kill them. That's the squad he was on. So he tells about all of these raids that one, they went to a house once and they found these people and they just started beating them and punching them and kicking them and warning them never to come back and deny Christ. And then they'd go on their way. And then a month later, here they are down by a river. They found some Christians who were actually having a baptism. And they started their usual beating them, hitting them, kicking them. And the Christians started praising God. And he says, I, I couldn't stand that. And they grabbed sand and they started putting it, shoving it in their mouths to shut them up. They beat them and they warned them, don't come back. About a month later, they found another group of Christians who were meeting in a secluded place in the woods. Here they come in again, this elite squad, ready to do their business. And the guy who's writing the book, his name is Sergei. And he sees this girl, this young lady, over in the corner of the bush here. And he realizes, I've seen her before. This is the third time I've seen her. I've warned her. I told her we would kill her if she came back. He runs over to this young lady, stands in front of her, and looks at all his Russian buddies and said, nobody touches her. Something overcame him. This girl had something he didn't have. She was willing to die for her beliefs. Long story short, Sergei uh, took this girl, got to know what she believed. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. He goes on writing in his story. He wanted now to leave the army. Now he was an, a naval officer. He wanted to leave. He wanted to get out of Russia. So he's on a boat off the shores of Canada, and he decides to defect. This is back in 1971. As a naval officer, he jumps ship, swims, to the shores of Canada, and he defects. He writes this book, and in this book, he warns that if anything is to happen to him, it would be the KGB. One year later, there was an accident, and he was found dead. I remember reading this book and wondering, how would I respond? How would I respond in his situation? So I looked up, I went on, Google's great, right? You can look stuff up, and I'm like, what was this book called? And this book was called The Persecutor. His story, and he tells it. And still to this day, I'm wondering, how would I be if my life was threatened? Now, all these stories, I tell you about the disciples, the early Christians, people in other countries, Nigeria, Afghanistan, Russia, you know what? I can't relate. I really can't relate to that kind of persecution. I've never been persecuted like that. Now, maybe I'm like you. I pray for the persecuted church. Not as often as I should. We need to pray for the persecuted church. There's people meeting right now in fear. But yet they're willing to do that. To worship. To worship God. We don't face that kind of persecution right here in Canada 
especially not here in Beaumont. At least I don't. We're going to read from Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 10 for now, and then we're going to read, keep your finger there for 11 and 12 later. Matthew chapter 5. For the past seven weeks, we've been talking about the characteristics that Jesus has told us that we need to have in order to live Christ-honoring lives. And then we will have a blessed life. So here we are in verse 10 of chapter 5. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. This is key. Because of righteousness. Because of righteous living. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has this opening push in these beatitudes here of righteous living. It's the famous Sermon on the Mount. And he reaches the most intense point, I feel, with this great and sobering truth that those, you and I, who faithfully live according to the first seven beatitudes that we've talked about for the last seven weeks, if you faithfully live according to those teachings, you are guaranteed at some point to experience the eighth. So in my mind, I'm trying to think, let me get this straight. I'm a Christ follower, plus righteous living equals persecution? How many signed up for that? That's not what I was told. I know that I count a cost when I follow Christ. I know my old self is put aside and I'm a new self. I don't remember this when my friend told me to give my life to Christ. I didn't sign up for that. How is this being blessed? Being persecuted. I don't know about you, but I like to be liked. I'm kind of a people pleaser, maybe too much. I don't like to be persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want this blessing. But do we have a choice? So let me get this straight. Let me, I don't want to scare you here because Jesus isn't saying that you should add experience persecution to your Christian bucket list, right? That, that's not what we're here for. I don't want all of you tomorrow morning at work going, gee, how can I get persecuted tomorrow? Man, I just really need to just stand out a little bit more. Uh, no, I don't believe Jesus is saying that here. So, so rest easy. That's not what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Or when school starts, for many of you, man, I'm going to stand up and get persecuted at school and I'm going to get that blessing, right? It doesn't work that way. Or I'm not going to say, you know what? All your neighbors and friends need to hate you. Then you'll be blessed, right? That's persecution. But I also don't want you to get too comfortable. Because this beatitude not only hints it's repeatedly said, and we don't aim to experience it, but for those who are part of the kingdom of God, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, those of you who are trying to live a righteous life <clears throat> that we've been teaching for the last seven weeks, you know it's coming. You will be persecuted. And why? Because righteousness which is right living, living according to the way Jesus taught us, 
Righteousness is confrontational. Why? Because it contrasts wickedness. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 4. Here we have the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. They both give sacrifices to the Lord, which they're supposed to. One is pleasing to God, and the other is not. Now, we don't find that, that Abel is preaching to Cain, hey, you better give a better sacrifice. You're not, you're not having a right relationship with God. We don't, we don't see that. But Abel's righteous life, all he did was give God the best. He was righteous living. He gave a proper sacrifice. And because of that, it was a constant rebuke to his brother. And then in a rage, Cain kills Abel. Not because he was preaching at him, but because it was righteous living. How about Moses? Moses chose to identify with his own despised people. He gave up all his riches and glory of living in Egypt and, and being an Egyptian, which was a pagan Egyptian society, and he paid a great price for it. Here we have in Hebrews eleven twenty six. But he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. Wow. Choosing to follow Jesus Christ, whether you're young or whether you're old, live by his teachings will be offensive. Let me explain. Because the gospel itself is offensive to some. Okay, as Christ followers, here's, here's some of the things we claim. I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is without error. It is truth. I believe that. Many don't. Many people feel that we are narrow-minded. We are old-fashioned. How can we say we have the word of God in this book? It's offensive to many. When you tell someone they're a sinner and they need Jesus Christ, in order to have salvation, in order to have a right relationship with God. Who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? Or it's not my fault, it's my parents' fault. Or I have issues. It's not sin. It is sin. We are sinners. We need Christ. It's offensive. How about this? How do you have a right relationship with God? I believe the Bible says it. There's only one way through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way. How's that for narrow minded thinking? Isn't there many ways to God? Isn't there many religions? We teach here, and I believe it, there is one way. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood for my sins. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other way to have a right relationship with God. And you know what? When you tell someone that, it's offensive. I know it is. I've experienced that. People feel it's very offensive. You are a sinner. 
Jesus is the only way to find forgiveness, the only way to have salvation, a new life in Christ. And this is what we believe. This is what we preach. It's offensive, people. It's truth, but it's offensive. Okay, back to your Bibles here. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue on. Verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me, Jesus, he says. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This last beatitude is really two in one. It's a single beatitude, but it's repeated, and it's expanded. Blessed is mentioned twice in verse 10 and 11, but only one characteristic, persecuted. Although it's mentioned three times. And there's only one result for all of this being persecuted. What's that? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a promise that you will be blessed. And it's, it's repeated twice. So there's an emphasis of those who are persecuted, there will be a generous blessing. A generous one. So I'm looking at this and I'm trying to think this persecution, what I first, first thoughts were, and then I'm trying to think, what does persecution really mean to me? How can I bring that home to you and I? Well, you've got to go to the dictionary and say, what does persecution say in the dictionary? And we have it here. It says, part of it. The dictionary says, persecution is the hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race, political, or religious beliefs. Unfair or cruel treatment. Abusive, oppressed, or harassed. Okay, now I can relate to that. How many can relate to that more, more so? Yeah, we've probably all experienced this. I know that I have different views than those I work with. I know I'm different. Okay, that's a different story too. I know I'm different. I know when we talk about abortion... My views are totally different. When we talk about living together before you're married, my views are way different than those I work with. When we talk about finances, especially tithing, and you know, I'm talking about to a, fr a friend at work, and he's like, I got no money, I'm getting no taxes back. And he goes, yeah, but you get taxes back because you give. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because the Bible says that we give. It's not something we're Suggested to do. Finances, tithing. I mean, there's so many different areas in life that we disagree on. I won't even go into politics or anything like that, but because that's, that's different. But just on basic, what I think, what I think are basic moral values are totally different than the people I work with. And so they think I'm old-fashioned. I am old, but I'm not old-fashioned, I don't think. Or maybe that's a good thing. Because if this is old-fashioned, man, sign me up. Sign me up. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be what? Yes. 
will be persecuted. They will. Everybody will be persecuted. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to live a righteous life, you will be persecuted. Because if you've been paying attention for the last seven weeks of the characteristics that Jesus told us to live by, and you will strive to live a righteous life, the result of that will be persecution. I believe there's a, and I think you know it too. You see it, you read the news, you follow. There's a tremendous growing hostility towards Christianity and Christ's values in North America. We may not face the same persecution as some other countries, but it's slowly and not so subtly creeping in on our society. Listen to this news story from August 9th. August 9th, 2021. Police were nowhere to be found over the weekend when black-clad members of Antifa disrupted the outdoor Christian prayer service in Portland, Oregon. They were macing worshipers, mocking God, and throwing the sound equipment into the river. The Antifa protesters showed up with shields and weapons and also dispersed flash bombs and what appeared to be pepper, uh, bear spray among the crowd, which included children. This month, Portland, Oregon. Do you remember this story? In a recent town hall meeting, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced, announced his reasoning for not permitting Christians to apply for Canada's summer jobs. Trudeau said that those who seek to restrict abortion are not in line with society. That's right here. It's in our country. David Goretzky is the, uh, not Goretzky Goretzky, it's spelled different. David Goretzky is the executive vice president. He's the resident theologian of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. He also happens to be a friend of mine. He grew up in Onaway, a little bit younger than me, but he has gone oh, so many places here. And he was speaking and addressing hundreds of church leaders in Canada. This is 2019. Here's some of the things he was saying. He said there's the Canada Summer Jobs Grants that were not given to Bible camps or pregnancy care centers. There's the unjust Trinity Western University, which the Supreme Court decision denied them, the law students, denied them their accreditation in law societies even before the school opened. There's a serious injustice in the, by Ontario, uh, for Ontario physicians because they, they face these uh, conscious rights when it comes to, one, euthanasia, abortion, and morally questionable procedures. They're under pressure. He also mentions that Bill 24 in Quebec, member forcing public servants, teachers, and government employees to remove any religious symbols or headgears. He goes on to say, and I believe I have this down here, those in power implementing these policies may see them as tests for future restrictions on the religious freedom, Gretzky said. This could be a cultural preparation and maybe a normalization for a future day when formal restrictions on the practices of religion may be introduced. 
And yet, most Christians remain silent. This is right here in our own country where our freedoms seem to be taken away. Where there seems to be not even a subtle and open attack on those with Christian beliefs. I found a quote by George Orwell. It says this, The further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. And I think we're finding that the more we speak truth, the more hatred there is. I was talking to some friends last Sunday after church, and we were like, it used to be you could have good conversations with people in the community or at work. Now, if you disagree with them, they won't even talk to you. They label you and they walk away. They put all Christians in the same group. I've had several conversations with people at work, and all of a sudden they start talking about, oh yeah, those religious people. Well, I think they mean Christians, but maybe religion. I'm not religious, but I am a Christian. And they start talking right in front of you. Oh, those religious people. And I go, yeah, I think I kind of might be one of those. And they're like, oh, no, no, you're, you're different. I go, yeah, because you know me. Because you have conversation with me. People need to quit putting people in groups and just putting a label on them. We're individuals and we have different beliefs and we need conversation and we earn that right to have conversations with our co-workers. John 15, 18 to 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind, this is Jesus speaking, that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Why? Because I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will also persecute you also. Persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Why? Why is there persecution among believers? Why do people hate what you stand for? This next slide tells us why. Because the evil one, we believe there's Satan. We believe he exists. He's not some fairy tale. He exists. And why? He hates the righteous one. He hates anything to do with Jesus Christ. And you're a follower. And so because you identify with Christ, you will be hated. You will be persecuted. I need to tell you a story about, I'm going to take you back to 2013. Our daughter and I, uh, Brenda's daughter and I, Kaylin, was graduating high school. Anyone graduating high school this coming year? Anyone just graduated? No young people out there? All right. I graduated back in 1978, and a lot, a, a lot of things have not changed. Things are almost the very same. What do they do when they graduate? They have a safe grad which is really a drunk and hooking up, and you know what, I've supervised some of those, and I, I want nothing to do with the safe grad. So we talked to my daughter, who doesn't drink, and who was 17 at the time, and underage, and I'm the pastor in a small town, and I'm supposed to let my daughter go to this party. She didn't want to go. We didn't force her to go. We didn't force her not to go. She said, no, we should do something different. So I'm putting my mind together, and I'm thinking, what can we do different? Why do they have to go to the same party? So I know all these high school kids, there's only like 21 of them graduating. 
And so we gave them an option. Hey, how would you guys like to go to Disneyland for three days? Who wouldn't want to go to Disneyland for three days? Not have this safe grad. Let's do a dry grad, and let's raise some funds, and let's go to Disneyland. So out of the 21 kids, five of them said, yeah, let's go. So once the school, the school, found out, the vice principal called each of the parents of those other four kids and told them how they shouldn't, because we had to miss two days of school, <laughs> how we should not miss any school to go on this trip, how it's a bad idea, and why can't they go to their other grad with everyone else. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever grow up in a small town, kids miss school for hunting, they miss school for farming, they miss school for dance. They miss school for a music festival. They miss school because they have to drive to Red Deer for the day. It's not an issue of just missing school. So I gathered, Brendan and I gathered these parents in our living room and said, okay, I know you've got this phone call. You're a little bit concerned about what the school has to say. Do you still want to go? If you want to go, we'll make it happen but you, got, you can't bail out on me. Are you going to stand with me? We're going to stand up and we're going to do a dry grad. And they said, okay, it doesn't matter what parents say, because some parents were already mad at us. Oh, I got some talking to. <laughs> how dare you? How, can, how come all the kids aren't going to the same grad? I got called a few names. That's all right. They were in. So we started planning this trip. We started raising funds. We had a check from the RCMP saying, congratulations, young people. We want to give you some money. We support you. We had businesses give us money. Money was not a problem. People were so impressed what we were doing. Then, not too long before the trip happened, the vice principal and the principal invited Brenda and I into the office. This is a great meeting, hey, Brenda? I've been to the principal's office many times in my life. <laughs> but never as an adult and in this situation. The principal's behind his desk. The vice principal's over here. I'm here. Brenda's here. And they start talking about this trip and how bad it is and stuff like that. And how it's not good. Sorry, not them. The vice principal. The principal just sat there and listened in. The vice principal keeps telling us that this is not a good thing. And then I said a few things, as I always will, and we had a little discussion going, and I could see he was getting heated. Was I getting heated? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, okay, I won't deny that. And uh, then he starts tearing down each one of the kids. So here we have a vice principal in a public high school saying, your kids aren't perfect. This kid is this, this kid is this, this kid is this, and this kid is this, and I'm like, I couldn't believe I was hearing this from a vice principal who teaches my kids in a public school. Thankfully, my wife grabs me by the hand and says, we need to leave. <laughs> Smart woman, yes. We leave. You got very emotional on the way home. And I was just mad. <laughs> I was angry. I'm never coaching another team in this school again. I'm never helping out. And I've done lots of work there. I was so mad that this came from teacher, a teacher, one teacher, maybe more. Half an hour later, I get a phone call. It's the principal. Pastor Terry, I, I don't know what happened in there, but I'm sorry that happened. 
I want to support you in your trip. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Half an hour later. Oh, my goodness. It's the vice principal calling. <laughs> I don't want to answer that. I don't want to answer that. I don't want to talk to him. I haven't cooled off. No, I haven't. Okay, I answer the phone. It was like it was a different person. Pastor Terry, I am so sorry. I don't know what overcame me. I love your kids. I love those kids going. We support your trip. Is there anything we can do to help you? Ugh, I hate it when I can't be mad anymore. <laughs> What's that forgiveness thing we have to do? But it just reminded me. Oh, and we went to Disneyland and we had fun. We had a great time. Those kids will never forget that grad. Well, we won't either because we went along with chaperones, of course. But why did that happen? Because the evil one hates the righteous one. And I don't blame the vice principal anymore. There was a hatred that overcame. And it was because of the evil one. Because the evil one hates righteous living. And we're called to righteous living. We've learned a lot these last eight weeks. To be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be merciful, to have a pure heart, to be peacemakers. And if you live like that, you will be persecuted. But I don't want that to deter you from living a Christ-centered life. 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and give a reason for your hope. But do this, aye, there's always a little extra. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. You will be persecuted for righteous living. Not for being a jerk. We can be jerks sometimes. We can be arrogant sometimes. We need to speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect. And if we're persecuted because of it, that's what was promised. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's the evil one hates the righteous one. What we need to do as a church, you and I as, as Christians, as families, as individuals, we need to make sure we are rooted in this book. What is truth? Do we know what truth is? Are we learning this truth? Are we teaching it to our children and to our grandchildren? Are we meeting in small groups, Bible studies, youth group, kids club? And are we teaching our children what we believe? Marlo brought up that progressive Christianity earlier. Sorry, Pastor Marlo brought that up earlier. It's so true. People are even questioning. We have friends, good friends, who are questioning, is this really the word of God? And they've been Christians for years. That's part of progressive Christianity. Is there actually a heaven? Is there actually a hell? That's part of the progressive movement. We need to know what we believe, folks. We need to know what we believe. 
We are called to stand firm in our convictions of truth. And whenever I point someone to what truth is, I point them to Jesus Christ. Because what did he say? I am the way. I am the truth. Look at his life. Look at his teachings. That is truth. Even under persecution, which will happen if you're living a righteous life, we need to remember that there's something more valuable than living the persecution-free life. When we understand, when we're captivated by what we gain, that we know we will be blessed, that we have a home in eternity waiting for us, persecution won't seem so bad. The eighth beatitude serves as a reminder that we are working in a fallen world. And so you and I, we need to be united as a body in what we believe. We need to have righteous living, We need to obey God's word and stand up for truth. We need to pray for each other. When's the last time you just stopped in the day and prayed for someone at church? You don't know what they're going through at work or at school. We need to pray for each other. Let's read it, let's learn it, let's practice it, and let's teach it. Are we ready as a church? I don't know if we are. Because it's coming. And it's not so subtle. We will be persecuted. And you better know what you believe and what you stand for. And we need to stand together. And that's the great thing about the church. That Christ has brought us together so we don't have to do this alone. I got your back. You got my back. We pray for each other. We lift each other up because we are not a people without hope. We have a God who cares, who knows, who walks beside us, who carries us at times and does battle for us. And he's given us wonderful believers here. I've stood next to some of you. I've sat next to some of you. And I know you got my back. That, that, that helps so much to know that when even persecution comes, worse, We may have a mild form of persecution here, in my mind. It's going to get worse. We need to do this together. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for for your word. Man, it's hard at times for me to understand that a blessing for being persecuted. Your word said so. If... I follow you, I will be persecuted. And I know there's many here that feel that they're alone. And that's why we need small groups. We need to gather in church. We need to go for coffee. We need to get out with each other and pray for each other and lift each other up. God, I thank you for this body of believers. They are an encouragement to me. They are a solid rock for me. And I count it a privilege to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to ask a blessing over them. If they feel they're being persecuted in their workplace, hey, we'll pray for you. Keep speaking the truth. God, give us the courage to speak the truth, to stand up for you, no matter what the consequences. I know that's not easy, but I know it is so worthwhile. And as we've heard this morning, when people stand up for truth, lives are changed. And we want to see people come to Jesus Christ.
And so a blessing for all who are here this morning, all who are watching, may you be encouraged that you are not alone. That we have a father who we sang about this morning who loves us, who watches over us, who cares for us. We are a blessed people and we need to be encouraged. But we shouldn't get too comfortable because persecution will happen. God, thank you for your word. May it touch our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.